This podcast is brought to you by the Dunfield Retirement Residence, a casually elegant retirement community located at Young and Eglinton in the heart of Midtown Toronto. Customized living options complement your independent, active lifestyle. Learn more at thedunfield.com. Amongst all the hate crimes that have been reported during this period, I can tell you that anti-Semitism makes up over 53% of this overall amount. That's 56 of 105 total occurrences. Since October 7th to date, anti-Semitic incidents are up 211% from the same time period That's the voice year. of Toronto's police chief, Myron Demkew, describing what he calls a staggering increase in demonstrations that have been going on in the city streets and the shopping malls too since the Hamas attack on Israel on October 7th and the resulting Israeli response. And while police have arrested 46 people and laid nearly 100 charges in connection with hate crimes, mainly for assault and mischief, they admit that's probably not nearly the true picture of what's happening out there because people aren't reporting or pressing charges. But here's what's most concerning. Hate crimes reported to Toronto police are now at the highest they have been in 10 years. They're up 41% over last year. And not surprisingly, more than half of these hate crimes reported since October 7th are against Jews. 56 out of 98, with 20 against Muslims and 11 against LGBTQ people. And there's also a lot of anti-Semitic graffiti out there. You can read all the actual numbers. I've put the link in our show notes to the story. But as we've been reporting, because of all of this, some Holocaust survivors have been speaking out, saying it all reminds them of 1939 again, with the targeting of Jewish businesses and harassing of Jewish doctors and Molotov cocktails targeting a synagogue and efforts to ban a menorah lighting tradition in Moncton. But Holocaust experts say it's not the same, especially because over the last few weeks, six Canadian provinces and territories just adopted mandatory Holocaust education or expanded the courses on the Holocaust that their students have to take. It's not like the Holocaust where we were alone and neighbor turning on neighbor and the police were turning in their, you know, citizens. And it really, it really does feel like we have the government, the, you know, the provincial government behind us. So I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Wednesday, December 20th, 2023. Welcome to the CJN Daily, a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News, sponsored by Metropia. It's not surprising that many Canadian Jews report feeling scared with those sobering new police statistics from Canada's largest city. And yet, in the past few weeks alone, we've also seen the governments of B.C., Alberta, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Yukon and Ontario all announce they're bringing in mandatory Holocaust education. Or in some cases, like Ontario, they're expanding the existing courses to start now in grade six, while other provinces also have some form of this training in their social studies curricula. Can Holocaust education help tackle what we're seeing in the streets and online today? And will it have to change after October 7th? And is what's going on actually comparable to the Holocaust? Joining me now to unpack all this current anti-Semitism and what the Holocaust has to do with it are Nina Krieger, the director of Vancouver's Holocaust Education Centre, and Dara Solomon, who runs Toronto's Holocaust Museum. Thank you so Thank much you for, for having me. us. Well, it's good to meet you in these very fraught times. We wanted to bring you in because of your expertise in trying to figure out 
why so many provinces are now jumping on board to ma mandate Holocaust remembrance and Holocaust education, and then how it connects to what we're seeing today, which is an explosion of hate against Jews. I'll start with you, Nina. The Holocaust Education Center has a uh, an exhibit on now about youth and Nazi propaganda, which I found extremely timely. Thank you for that. It certainly is a timely exhibition, Age of Influence, Youth and Nazi Propaganda. And it's something that we've had in development over about two years. And it was really in response to educators contacting the VHEC more than ever, looking for tools that promote critical thinking, media literacy, students encounter um, potentially hate, anti-Semitism of hate of other forms on social media feeds and, and other formats. It's, it's amazing to see the work that happens among students and how they become, they make the connections between the Nazi era and media that they might encounter in their own, um, in their own moment. So we've certainly had a really strong feedback um, from teachers and students and there's, it, it is truly more timely than ever. The, the propaganda that came out in 1939 brings me to the question that a lot of people have been discussing, which is, oh, we're back in 1939 all over again now that Hamas did a massacre. And yet Holocaust experts are um, divided on whether people are should be saying that this is Holocaust again. So I want to hear your takes on on that comparison that is all over political leaders, media, etc. Sure, I can begin. I'm sure, Ellen, you know that um, in Holocaust education, we really treat the Holocaust as a singular event. And it's really important to show um, the, the un uniqueness of that genocide. Um, and we worry about Holocaust disinformation, minimization, when you start comparing other genocides. So even when we do programs where we bring together survivors of the Holocaust with other genocide survivors, we're very careful not to be getting into this hierarchical um, conversation about who, su who suffered more. It's, it's very dangerous. But right away, I think on October 8th, there were, it was out there, right? In the, in the conversations, comparisons to the Holocaust and our, our survivor community themselves were talking about the, you know, that this, that the, not that they were similar, but that the, this reminded them of the feelings they had during the Holocaust. And they started, you know, talking about the, the fear that they were beginning to, to feel. So it was very quickly out there. But at the same time, I still think that we as Holocaust institutions have to be really careful in the language that we use. Like, yes, it was the bloodiest day for the Jewish community since, since the Holocaust. And I think, um, the, that's okay. But when we start, talking about um, yellow stars and the fear, I think that's very dangerous. And the big difference is, at least here in Toronto, we're seeing we have the support of the government because you mentioned, Ellen, we're going to be getting into the Holocaust education expansion that the provinces are doing. They're doing that in response to what's going on in part, right? And then, of course, we have the police up and down Bathurst Street protecting the Jewish community the leadership of Toronto's police came to the museum two weeks ago. They did a deep dive into the museum and then sat with us and community leaders for about 90 minutes about how they are there to support us. So I think right away we see we're not in, in, the, same, in the same boat and we have to be careful to make those comparisons. The evocation of the Holocaust that is the most striking, I think, is that 
on October 7th, we witnessed the single greatest um, massacre of Jews since the Holocaust. And I think that is a deeply resonant um, fact. But here in Vancouver, also at Kristallnacht, which we observed on November 9th, that commemoration, we had all levels of government represented, police protection. And in my remarks, and also uh, the closing remarks of the rabbi uh, at our partner congregation, Beth Israel, really noted exactly that distinction that Dara pointed out, which is the political support, the protection of law enforcement, and now across Canada, um, an increasing awareness of the importance of Holocaust education. So I think those distinctions are are very relevant. But in terms of the imagery, the use of it, so when Israeli leaders and Israeli politicians use this to then say, we're going to, you know, send you all to hell, how does this impact the trouble that it causes here in the diaspora for you guys like holocaust education even at the even for people not in school but older people have to be reminded why we don't you know it's not beneficial to go out wearing a yellow star that it it really you know it revictimizes the jewish community and it makes um, comparisons where, where th- th- that aren't really helpful to create dialogue. And it just minimizes the Holocaust, which maybe in the moment doesn't seem um, relevant, but long term over and over again doing this ends up minimizing it. And then people can sort of chip away at the facts and start questioning the validity of the facts of the Holocaust. And I think by making these comparisons, you kind of open that up a little bit. And I see that as the Holocaust recedes in time, our mandates as Holocaust museums and education centers that are repositories for Holocaust documentation, that this um, is is more essential. And I think we're, we're very wary as professionals of, of distorting the facts. And um, those distortions or the use of Holocaust symbols, of course, are very um, triggering potentially to Holocaust survivors, descendants, and the Jewish community broadly, potentially. We work with Holocaust survivor speakers, and um, there was a discussion among the uh, speakers working in classrooms today about how they, if they should engage with the current conflict, because they are presenting to students as eyewitnesses, speaking about and reflecting about their lived experiences during the Holocaust and its aftermath coming to Canada and so on. And they felt that they could not ignore um, what is transpiring. But I think we emphasized they could reflect on how they feel as Holocaust survivors witnessing the surge of anti-Semitism that we're witnessing today, that their reflections as survivors were particularly meaningful and important for students and others to contemplate. So really anchoring um, in their lived experience, but giving them the opportunity to reflect as survivors on this um, really um, perhaps unprecedented moment. Why didn't they want to engage about Israel-Palestine? This is what the students are seeing on their feeds and on their TikToks. So how do you have a dialogue with kids? It's a good question. And we haven't quite gotten there where we're bringing it into the dialogue session. We um, are framing at the start of the tour that we give for students that they're 
we start out by explaining they're in a Jewish community center. We explain what a JCC is because many um, have never been in one before. And we say this is a particularly challenging time for the community um, since um, the attack by Hamas on October 7th and the war that's ensued. And so community centers are a place to bring together. So we do it in this very soft way. We've started to have conversations about how to bring it up after their visit. And one of the challenges is the students have just learned about the Holocaust and usually they're completely new to the subject and it's heavy and it's complicated. And there's so much to discuss after the heaviness of that conversation that it's very hard to then introduce, intro, to then introduce the subject of Israel, Gaza, the Middle East, because they have no foundation for it whatsoever. We are so in it, but we forget that the, the average kid in Toronto has no idea really what's what's going on. And so we do want to take advantage of the opportunity, like Nina said, the survivors want to do that. We do. We're trying to figure out how to address it in a way that doesn't bring in the politics, obviously, um, but just in terms of how it's impacting the community here and the rising anti-Semitism as a result of it without getting into the sort of explanation of what's going on in in Israel in detail. I guess the issue is how to effectively sort of connect the dots from the history to to the current moment, because what we're finding is like there's a real gap in anti-Semitism education, right? Like that's not something that we do. We're not experts in that. And I think like you don't want a trip to the Holocaust Museum to be like the box that they check if they have like anti-Semitism issues going on in the school, because then it's it's historical. Right. So you need to be able to connect it to the present in meaningful ways, whether it's to the current moment, like what is happening on the streets of Toronto or or just to, um, you know, what, how to be a better citizen, how to be a good neighbor. I, I think rounding that in the survivor's um, experience and perceptions is very key. And I think their weariness um, is that they, they're not necessarily, you know, speaking to students as experts in Middle Eastern politics or the current crisis. And so, and that's not our mandate or the expertise of our professional staff either. But I think by focusing on the Holocaust, there are still many questions that are broadly relevant and themes that are broadly relevant. So fundamentally, Holocaust education, hopefully, engages students in reflecting and others in reflecting on their roles and responsibilities as citizens, um, in particular in times of moral crisis. You said, Nina, that learning about the Holocaust makes, quote, teaching and learning about the Holocaust contributes to a more cohesive and inclusive society where dignity and rights of all people are valued. How do we know that it works. So there are surveys um, conducted by the Israeli Foundation Holocaust Knowledge and Awareness Survey conducted in 2018 by the Israeli Foundation and the Claims Conference that uh, revealed some really striking critical gaps in Holocaust knowledge. Like 22% of young people, I think the ages of 18 to 34, had not heard of the Holocaust. But there was also, it revealed, a, the study revealed a correlation between an individual's awareness about the Holocaust and likelihood that they would reject anti-Semitism and neo-Nazism. So, and there's also a, a really important study out of Australia that um, that uh, shows that students that have 
learned about the Holocaust, visited a Holocaust museum, have a greater um, sensitivity and welcoming attitude to newcomers and refugees. So it really is an opportunity to cultivate that more co a cohesive society, which fundamentally is a goal of public education in Canada, um, a diverse democracy that really requires people to, uh, to live together. You, you're doing some of that, but that's really not your mandate is what I'm hearing. Well, it's interesting. The The grade six curriculum in Ontario that came out over the summer includes two strands. The first one is about the Jewish community here in Ontario, the settlement, the institution building, the anti-Semitism that they faced here in the 20s and 30s. And and we advocated for for that because we really don't think it's appropriate to just introduce Jews as victims of the Holocaust to students who don't know anything about Jews and have no connection that, oh, there's actually long-standing Jewish communities in, in, our, in our cities, and not just in Toronto, but in, you know, in other parts of the province as well. I mean, many of them have left, but there, you know, there was community, Jewish communities, you know, dot, sprinkled around the province. And we, and that's really important. And so, um, the work of the Ontario Jewish Archives, all those stories of institutional building, will be um, you know, a strand that, um, that is taught. And we want to make sure um, teachers have what they need to teach that. And then when they get to the second strand, which is more about the Holocaust, however, still very much in the Canadian context and the response of the Canadian government, um, then, then it, they, they at least they have this foundation that they can build upon. And then in grade 10, it's yet to be written, the curriculum. But what we hope is that that's when they'll get into like, what the jet? What happened? What What did the genocide look like? Because they'll be at the right age to start learning about, um, you know, about that, and they'll have a stronger sense of history. And as Nina mentioned, the importance of critical thinking skills will be stronger. And so at that point, they can then really do like this deep dive into um, the history and the aftermath of of the Holocaust. So I I think it's essential to set to introduce Jews as people as Canadians. Um, and so they get a sense of, of who, who we are today at the same time as learning the history. The good news, I guess, is so many provinces are coming on board quickly after a long time. Uh, maybe you wanted to close on a hopeful note. I, I do. I mean, I think the week that we announced Holocaust education was being expanded into grade 10 and the, and the announcement of the resources for grade 6, I was feeling really down. Like I was, I, my, you know, I had to keeps changing which door to drop my son off at school because of the security measures that were being implemented and driving up Bathurst from downtown all day, seeing like the, the police presence outside every school. It was, it was really frightening. I've never experienced anything like that and had a, I guess, some, um, a bit, a bit of naivete thinking I, I wouldn't in my lifetime see that. And I was, but making that announcement that we hosted at the museum with all the ministers behind us, like, I really did feel like they are with us, <laughs> they, that, that, and that they, they, they know what we're experiencing, and they are concerned themselves, and they are taking action. So I really did do feel hopeful. I think the same in BC, when the announcement took place, um, really, I mean, this is a really, really challenging time for the Jewish community, um, for Holocaust survivors, for their descendants, for really, for, for everyone. And 
the announcement and the eloquent words of Premier David Eby and the supportive cabinet and um, really the acknowledgement that Holocaust education is vital and will be learned uh, and all students in BC will have an opportunity to engage with the Holocaust and the questions and themes that it raises was really um, so wonderfully received and it was a really heartening, positive, um, very light-filled announcement um, during dark times. And so I think there's lots of work to be done, but um, I think our, our museums um, are, are doing this work on a daily basis and um, recognize the needs and opportunities to reach more students and more teachers and also um, professional groups and, uh, and a diversity of adult audiences as well. Okay, well, we'll end on that good positive note. And I thank you both for sharing your your experiences from West and East Coast to us. Thanks for being on the CJN Daily. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you, Ellen. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. One more note that we're not in 1939, even though it feels like it for some people. The federal government announced Tuesday it's giving out another $5 million during this Israel-Hamas war to help at-risk communities in Canada hire more security guards and bring in safety equipment for Jewish community centers, offices, and daycares. And that's on top of another $5 million it announced a month ago. All the money has to be spent before March. And that's our show for today. Thanks for listening to the CJN Daily. The Dunfield Retirement Residence offers customized living options to complement your independent, active lifestyle. Welcome home. Welcome to the Dunfield. Visit us at thedunfield.com to book a personal tour.